1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two. I'm going to be reading verses one through five. But before we start there, let's be reminded of where we were last week in reference to Paul's emphasis on the cross. Uh, we've looked at the power of the cross in the last chapter. Uh, this past week, we looked at the word of the cross and how it is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness uh, to the Greeks or Gentiles. We discussed how the Jews wanted a conquering Messiah, one who would conquer right then and remove Rome uh, from being their master. And so um, the idea of Jesus uh, being relatively unknown, uh, not being a conqueror, and more than that, being crucified on a cross, which for the Jews meant that the curse of God was upon him, which it was. Um, they just missed the reasoning for why. And so they just missed the Messiah. And then the Greeks and the Gentiles, the cross didn't make any sense. It was foolishness uh, to them. And it just didn't work in their mind, and so they chose to ignore it. And then Paul talked about um, what it means for us. Um, but those who are called, he said, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because those of us who have been brought to faith um, clearly see the cross as not a stumbling block, and for sure, not foolishness, but we see it as the means of our redemption. And then Paul moves, continuing with this train of thought into chapter 2. And let me read chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And Paul said, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony or mystery of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let us pray. Lord God, show us Christ today. Help us see him clearly. Pray God you take the scales off unbelievers' eyes and may they see the cross for what it means for them. God, for those of us who have grown up in church... May we be reminded afresh of the implications of the cross for us. We need your help, Lord. We need your help this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Paul says, 
And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony, or some translations might say the mystery of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Once again, Paul is emphasizing that he did not come to them and make an argument for Christ with eloquent words or a profound argument that the Greeks would have been impressed with. Instead, he came and preached the gospel, and um, he is reminding them that that is the most important part of their struggle as Corinthians and their little church. Uh, they had lost sight of this fact that the cross and the gospel is what ultimately matters. And then he moves in to verse 2 and says, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, you look at that and you think, what does that mean? Uh, I've grown up in church. How many of you grew up in church? Just lifting your hands doesn't make you a charismatic, um, although we could probably use some of that. But anyway, I'm sorry I gave a little 12, chapters 12 through 14 on you just then. Um, but if you grew up in church, we are tempted to hear someone say, we need to know Christ and Him crucified. And we go, amen, amen. What does that mean? And we say, I don't know, but it sounds really good because Jesus is in it. And I think Paul here has to unpack that a little bit for us. And it's not easy to understand this completely. I think we're going to have to do some work. And so um, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. Well, that can't mean that Paul didn't teach this church anything else in 18 months that he was there other than the cross. He clearly would have taught them other things. Uh, he's addressing other things in this letter to the Corinthians. He's going to address more things in his second letter to the Corinthians. And depending upon where you are in your scholarly work, maybe a third, fourth, or maybe possibly even a fifth letter to the Corinthians, he's going to address issues so it's definitely not that he means that there is nothing else to talk about other than the cross. What we do know, and we're going to work our way through it, is that everything theologically for Paul, and philosophically for that matter, for Paul, flowed from the cross. It is where you must begin. Now some argue that this passage, these first five verses, is only re-emphasizing what Paul has already stated in chapter 1. And, I, and there is clearly some truth there, but I think, and I'm going to strive to show you, uh, that if you unpack it, uh, there is more that Paul is speaking to when he says, I want to know Christ crucified. That phrase in the Greek means uh, to understand or know the force of something. It has a definite meaning. It doesn't mean, like when I say I want to know more about al algebra, I don't really want to know more about algebra. <laughs> Anybody with me? Okay. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it is, I mean, I get it, algebra, but most of us in our mindset, those, how many of y'all really were bad at math or are currently bad at math? How many of y'all in class, I was on the accelerated program in school. I know you don't believe that. <laughs> until algebra, and they started putting letters with numbers, and I was like, whoa, I totally lost. And how many of y'all ever had this thought, what will I ever do with this? And your teacher said something 
that did not answer the question for you, right? So we, we say, I want to know more about algebra. You don't really have a, a definite meaning to that. There's not something that really has implications for you. But, but in this Greek phrase, Paul is saying, I want to know Christ and him crucified. I want to know the implications of that. It has meaning. There is a force behind what I am saying. I want to know the power of the cross. I want to know the, the word of the cross. It, it means something to me. Though it was a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness for the Greeks, it meant something to Paul. And so, we can't just say that he's just arguing more of what he argued in chapter 1. I think there is more to that. Does it end with just getting the gospel presentation correctly? Um, or just understanding the gospel correctly, to truly know Jesus Christ and Him crucified must have ramifications for your life. It's not about words. It's not about great arguments. Paul says there is power, and that power, I believe, Paul is speaking to in some phrase here, to the demonstration of that power in the lives of those who believe. Now, he goes in verse 3 and says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, some argue that what Paul is saying here with regards to the word power is that his preaching was, an, was accompanied by supernatural signs and miracles. And although supernatural things no doubt occurred, I don't believe that is what Paul is speaking to here. I believe he would have uh, made that much more clear to us uh, had that been his case as he's going to in chapters 12 through 14 but I think instead, it is looking back all the way to verse 17 of chapter 1, where Paul states, For Christ did not send me to baptize you, or baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. There is a power in the cross. Now, I'm not speaking the power like vampires. When you point the cross at somebody, it makes them run away. That's not what I'm referring. Am I the only one who liked that one? Ben, you like that one? It's not even in my notes. It just popped into my head. I should leave those out. <laughs> but never the man. It's not that. But there is an ever-present power in the cross. And, and Paul is, is knowing that when he's teaching the Corinthians. And he's referring back to that again in chapter 2. When he says that my understanding of the cross and the word of the cross is demonstrated in spirit and in power. It literally, that word means that the cross is made manifest. There's a manifestation of the cross for Paul. So Paul is saying, I believe, and I'm going to argue today, that despite his weaknesses and fears and his trembling, his word still had power because the gospel preached and believed has power in people's lives, just as it has, just as it did 
in Paul's life. There's evidence of that belief. You've got to remember who Paul is. So I'm going to ask you uh, to take a quick little journey with me. And let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, you don't have to turn if you don't want to. I think it'll be on the screen. But in Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 11, let me give you a little bit of background of Paul. In verses 1 through 11 in chapter 3, he says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, and to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And that's good because Paul's going to write the same thing many times. But in verse 2, he says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Now listen to Paul's history. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul had no idea how he was going to die, but he knew because of his belief in the cross that he would attain the resurrection from the dead. Let me translate all of that passage for you. If anybody checked off the religious boxes, Paul did. Paul won all the Bible drills. Paul's the guy you wanted on your team for Bible drill. Paul understood all the religious things that you could possibly understand. But he had missed Christ. He had checked off all the boxes. He was nailing the religious thing. But everything that Paul had previously placed his confidence in before, he counted as a loss, as rubbish, next to knowing Christ, to be found in him, to have a righteousness that doesn't come from himself or from the keeping of the law, but instead a righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. To know Christ changed Paul's life. What kind of implications did the cross have for Paul? St. Paul described himself this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I know if you've been with this church for a while, you're like, please do not make me turn to 1 Timothy. But we're going to go back. I know we were there for a long time. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 through 16, the same Paul who just said, here's all the boxes that I checked off. If it was religious, I did it. I did it really, really well. Here's the same Paul. 
The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. So Paul goes from checking off all of his boxes and speaking to that to calling himself the worst of sinners. He had even persecuted the very followers of the Jesus he now proclaims. What changed for Paul? What changed? The cross changed everything. He met Christ and the Lord changed his life. And now, in Paul's writings, in all of his writings, the cross always takes center stage. To better understand what he's saying, in chapter 2, I think it's helpful to go look at his other writings on the cross. But before we get there, I would say, let's look at what Jesus said about his own cross. In Luke chapter 9, can't help but think that at some point Paul and Peter may not have discussed this to some level. In Luke chapter 9, 23 through 24, Jesus said this. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you grew up in East Texas Bible Belt, um, you probably understand this passage to mean whatever struggle you have is your cross. Uh, whatever difficulty you face is your cross. And that is a dumb interpretation of that, of what Jesus says. He, he answers what he means by that in the very next verse. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to the cross. And so if you're going to follow me, you have to go to the cross as well. And then he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And if you've read any of the Gospels, you have to understand how profound of a teaching that was for the people listening. Remember what we just said about what everyone knew about crosses? And Jesus just said, I'm going to the cross. You mean the place where slaves and murderers and, and the people who have done the worst deeds on the face of the planet are? Yeah, I'm going there. You want to follow me? No. <laughs> because the only way you can follow me is you must die as well. And so to know Christ crucified is more than knowing from memory the story of the cross no, no, no. It's more than that. It means the story has implications for your life. To worship a God who was crucified, who consistently taught before his crucifixion that we would need to take up the cross and follow him too, well then this kind of religion, this kind of faith takes on a whole new meaning. Like, when I was younger, I could ride roller coasters. I have no interest in riding roller coasters anymore. Do you know why? They hurt me. 
Amen? I have no interest in that. I have no interest in swimming in the deepest depths of the ocean because there are animals that swim in the deepest parts of the ocean that will eat me. There are all kinds of things that I have no desire to go do because it could mean death or pain. But for Christians, we are called to the cross. We're called to die to ourselves. And we do not like that. Because all of us in here have a long list of dreams, desires, passions, and wants. And we grew up in a country that tells us to go and get them. And we have a Savior who says, they will not make you happy. This is not your home. Follow me to the cross. That's opposite of what we're taught I am not demonstrating my belief in the crucified and resurrected Christ by how smart I am, which is why Paul is arguing against eloquent words. Instead, I am demonstrating my belief in the cross by the power of it in my life. I used to persecute this church. I know all the religious answers, and I hated Christ. I hated him. No doubt Paul ran into family members who he had maybe had killed or imprisoned. Constantly reminded of his old way. And now he proclaims this very Jesus. And though I am weak and trembling, Paul says, I am walking in the power of the Christ. It's a big theme for Paul. It's a big theme for Paul. He's going to point to the cross over and over and over and over again in his writings. Let's just take a few. Galatians 6.14, we've used it, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You want to know Christ? I want to know Christ. Then crucify yourself to the world. That's what it means to know Christ. Once again, to boast in the cross implied for Paul that it had implications for his life. Galatians 2.20, he said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love it when my kids tell me where they want to go for the weekend, as if their opinion mattered. You know where we're going this weekend? Most likely wherever your mom and I want to go. You know where we're eating? Probably what we want. Well, we want to go to McDonald's when they were kids. Well, we're not going to McDonald's. Well, we were on staff, so we were poor, so we did go to McDonald's quite a lot, but nevertheless. So what does that mean? Do you understand the point of I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live all of everything that I want no longer matters. It's what Jesus wants. Because I've been crucified with Christ. And so my desires now come 
from the desires that Jesus has for me. That's what I want. It's a life-changing understanding of the cross. That Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, meaning right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. Paul and his believers have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us that lives. Knowing Christ, the crucified Christ, has, I'm going to say it again, implications for our life. And then if you think, well, I think you're stretched it. I don't think I have to get rid of all of my passions and desires. Where Paul would disagree with you, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what it means to know Christ and Christ crucified. Your passions and your desires crucified with Jesus. Your wants, crucified with Jesus. The way you want your life to go, crucified with Jesus. I told you before, and I'll tell you again, I taught a senior class that was graduating once, never got invited back. Might have had something to do with what I said. I said, most of you have your lives, your lives mapped out. Here's the best advice I can give you. Most of it will never work out. How you respond to that will demonstrate who you love in your life. Have you not noticed that, adults? Life doesn't quite go the way we think it's supposed to. Good reason to give up on your passions and desires and follow Christ. Getting the picture here of the cross and what it means to be crucified, believers who know Christ have been crucified with him. They have killed their own flesh, their own passions, their own desires. A cross that has no effect on your life is a cross that is emptied of its power. And that kind of cross is not a gospel cross. It's not good news. There's no message with a cross that brings no change. The gospel cross, crucified Christ, and those who follow him, who want to know him, that cross is demonstrated in our lives with power through the Holy Spirit. It's not just words that I'm saying to you. Though Paul came in weakness and fear and trembling, there was power in his words, not just because of the words, not just because of the power of the Holy Spirit, but because of the change brought in Paul's own life because of the cross. Do you believe this stuff, Paul? I believe it. I believe it. How much do you believe it? I count everything else as rubbish. That's how much I believe this. I believe this. I will live here and I will die here for the cross. It means something. It has altered my life. What's happened in many church circles is the cross has changed. The cross now represents your ticket to your happiness. Jesus did it. It's all good. Go and live your lives. It's not what we find at all in the Bible. The cross of Christ does not represent a life of ease for you. 
If you find a church that teaches that, you are in a false church. It's not possibly false. It is false. The cross does not buy you happiness the way that we think of happiness, and yet that's how they preach it. They preach that the cross buys you healing from diseases, and yet we die. It buys you money and power and influence. Here's the problem. If the cross of Jesus Christ buys the same thing that the unredeemed want to, then why follow Christ? makes no sense. It's not what the cross is. It's not what it buys you. What, doesn't it buy us joy? Yes. But not in you getting all your wants and desires. You're not the central theme of the story. Christ is. He is. If God walks in, Whatever light you think you have to shine with will be overwhelmed. I used to jump up, totally not in my notes. I know this is dangerous. I used to be a member of the country club when I was younger, and I would jump off the high diving board, and I, and I thought I was bad to the bone. Chad Mackey, I said it. I hope you're listening, Chad. I'm still bitter about it. But anyway, Chad Mackey, great friend in high school, just a freak of nature when it came out. Like Jesus spilt the whole athletic jar on him. I get up and I do a dive off the board. I'm like, what do you think about that? He jumps off, does like three somersaults and triple this and goes in the water with no splash. And he gets out and he goes, what do you think about that? I'm like, well, you're not even a member of the country club. I am. I mean, I was irritated. Do you understand how meaningless your aura is compared to God? And you think the story is about you. Well, who's it about when you die? It's not who it's about. It's about God and the calling that the cross has on our life. George Whitfield said it this way. Thankful to Matei. He sent this to me. I'm still in it, Matei. Some and I, he said this, some, and I fear a multitude which no man can easily number, are among us who call themselves Christians and yet seldom or never seriously think of Jesus Christ at all. They think of their shops and their farms and their plays and their assemblies and horse races. But as for Christ, the author and finisher of faith, the Lord who has brought poor sinners, who, have, who has bought poor sinners with his precious blood, and who is the only thing worth, worthy thinking of, Alas, he is not at all in their thoughts, or at most, in very few of their thoughts. But believe me, this is in his sermon. <laughs> oh, you earthly, sensual, carnal-minded professors. That's when the personnel committee got together immediately in the service. But believe me, oh, you earthly, sensual, carnal-minded professors, however little you may think of Christ now, or however industriously you may strive to keep him out of your thoughts by pursuing the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of the life, yet there is a time coming when you will wish you had thought of Christ more and your pleasure less. That'll preach. cross means something, everybody. 
It's not just something we, we sing about or we, or we have pictures of on Easter. It's not what it represents. It's not just something you wear on a chain or you have a painting of it at your house. It's, it means something. And Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know I'm crucified. A life that claims the crucified Christ must be different because of the cross. If it is not, then it is emptied of its power. You want to you change. Everyone wants to change a school or change a city. You want, you want to change that for Christ? Forget evangelism programs. Jesus never teaches evangelism programs in the Bible. I know it's a shock to you. Here's what he does teach. Go and live your life in such a way that brings glory to the Father. And everyone around you will go, that's different. What's different about you? There's your gospel opportunity. <laughs> go and live a life where your greatest desire is to please the Father and not your own self. That will stick out in an American society. Theologian and author D.A. Carson said it this way, the cross without ever being disowned is constantly in danger of being dismissed from the central place it must enjoy by relatively peripheral insights that take on far too much weight. The cross should be the central theme. Here's one for Keith, pastor, author, and hymn writer. Horatius Bonar, who died in 1889, wrote in 1864 in the book God's Way to Holiness about this, about the cross. He said, the secret of a believer's holy walk is his continual recurrence to the blood of the surety and his daily communion with the crucified and risen Lord. The crucified and risen Lord, that's the part I like. All divine life and all precious fruits of it, pardon, peace, and holiness spring from the cross. All divine life and all precious fruits of it, pardon, peace, and holiness spring from the cross. All fancied sanctification, which does not arise wholly from the blood of the cross, is nothing better than Phariseeism. If we would be holy, we must get to the cross and dwell there. Else, notwithstanding all of our labor and diligence and fasting and praying and good works, we shall be yet void of real sanctification, destitute of those humble, gracious tempers which accompany a clear view of the cross. And C.J. Mahaney, in his book, Living the Cross-Centered Life, one that I would highly recommend you read said a cross-centered life is made up of Christ-centered days. One last quote. Don't usually have this many quotes, but there's too many good ones. The late Reformed Theological Seminary Professor J. Knox Chamberlain said this, the Spirit does not take his pupils beyond the cross, but ever more deeply into it. And he preached in the cross that does not call you as a disciple through the power of the Holy Spirit to die to yourself and this world is not the message of the Bible. And there is no power in that message. You cannot know the crucified Christ without knowing what it means to be crucified in your own life. 
What do you see every morning when you wake up? It should be the cross. Well, the love of God rescued those who believe, and because of their rescue, the world is crucified to them and they to the world. In weakness and strength and trials and victories, the power of our lives flow from the crucified Christ on the cross. Death could not hold him, and we have been set free from sin and death through the cross of Christ. May we know nothing but Christ crucified. You struggle with discouragement or depression this morning? Look to the cross. Where God so loved you. Struggle with pride and arrogance this morning? Look to the cross because that's what it cost. Whatever our moment of is or find ourselves at in our life, if we would just look to the cross, we would be reminded of the sickness of our sin and the amazing love of God. That has implications in our law in our life. Gospel presentation. You were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. And that sin separated you from a holy God. And yet that God loved you so much that he sent his own son, his own son, to live a life that you could never live and to take your punishment on the cross that you richly deserved. And that if you would look to the cross and repent and believe, you could be made right with the Father, be brought back into a perfect, loving relationship. And even when you sin, God the Father sees righteousness because of the blood of Christ. And is that not good news? It's good news. It's good news for us today. And that is why... If you want to know something, know Christ crucified. Because if you truly are a believer, your life will never be the same again. As Keith comes, let me pray for us. God, you are good. Lord, I pray that I treated your word in a manner that would please you, that the cross has been clearly seen, that Christ has been clearly seen. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir in the hearts of unbelievers, take the scales off their eyes, and may they see the Christ, the cross. And God, may you draw them to your side and change them forevermore. God, I pray for the believers in here many of who have grown up in the church and the cross is something we believe in but something that we do not look to as much as we should I pray Lord that we would with Paul deeply desire to know Christ crucified that we would be reminded of all that means for us 
And God, that we would be much more quick in our hearts to ask you what you want instead of running after all the things that we want. Lord God, we are greedy people. We are sensual people. And Lord, we have expended great amounts of energy pursuing things that don't please you. So God, I pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would come and convict us of the powerless cross that we live by. And instead, help us to see the power of dying to ourselves and following Jesus. Move among us. Change us. Change this church. I pray, Lord. We love you. I thank you for the cross, God. I boast in the cross. Pray this church, 50 years from now, God, if you desire for it to still be here, pray that it still boasts only in the cross. And that they, people around them would know that's true because the world has been crucified to them and they to the world. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the love that flows from the cross. Thank you for redeeming us and rescuing us. Thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.